Hey, glory to God. Um, I'm so excited that we can spend this time again together this Sunday morning, wherever you're viewing in from. I know we've got people gathering in our different congregation locations as we're bringing our children back over the last few weeks. And if you're watching in one of the halls there as our team are ministering to your kids, big welcome to you. Shout out to you um, from the studio here at the Empower Centre. Also, those who are watching at their homes and different workplaces, either live or on catch up, want to just say thank you for being with us today. We're really uh, honoured that you would be a part of what God's putting on our heart in the sound of our worship, but also in what God's given us in our leading forwards. We're really, really excited about um, the gathering back of the congregations that's taking place. Also, the online congregation that's going to remain in place when we're all gathered back together in our locations. Make sure that you link into that. Got some brilliant connect groups that have started and uh, just as an incredible momentum around what will be our online congregation. So again, anything you need to know, just keep in touch with family.church. We're going to talk today about Heavenly Hope. We've been in this series together called Heavenly Minded based on what Paul says in the book of Colossians, that we're to set our mind, set our affections on things above and not on things below. Not that we don't Uh, find involvement with things being on the earth. That's a very real life here and now. But we need to be conscious of what's happening in heaven right now, but also that our true home is heaven one day. Now, we've been looking at the relationship, the very real relationship between heaven and earth, two very real places, two very real realms. And the life that we know now on the earth and the one that we will all know one day in heaven and We've been really believing the Holy Spirit to blow some of the fairy dust off of the realities of heaven and hell, but also the fact and the truth that there is a heaven. And one day, those who have believed in Jesus Christ will be in this place that we speak of called heaven, but also that God wants us to know the power of heaven in our daily lives here on earth. We spent the last two weeks specifically speaking about heavenly rewards and heavenly treasure had some great feedback from people as they began to think about things maybe they haven't thought of before when we speak of what Paul and what Jesus taught on the fact that there will be heaven and rewards in heaven that are based on the lives that we've lived here. Now we drew a very, very clear line between belief and behaviour. You know what it says in the book of Ephesians is that we are God's workmanship. You know, our salvation, the fact that we are saved, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that we're born again of his word and his spirit is really nothing to do uh, with us. It's what he did for us. Just as he created the first man, Adam, and positioned him to rule and reign in that garden called Eden. So in Christ, the Lord has made us. We are his workmanship. But some people stop reading too soon when they're reading those verses in Ephesians because then it goes on and says we are God's workmanship. We've been made by him, created by him. We're a new creation born of him, but we've been created for good works. That word works means ergon and it's a word to do business. I like to say to do God's business. So we need to get that balance in our understanding of who we are on earth and the heaven we will one day know in the fact that we are God's workmanship. Anyone that's believed in Christ and found salvation through Christ alone is God's workmanship. But also we've been created by God to do God's business on the earth. 
I often say that if you can convince me that the first man, Adam, found a fulfillment in sitting on a green hill far away making daisy chains, you'll convince me that a new, um, cre- a new creation believer finds the fulfillment God wanted them to know sitting in a church doing absolutely nothing about the kingdom that is and the kingdom that will come. We find our purpose and our fulfillment in realising that God has commissioned us to do his business on the earth. It's exciting. Add some great feedback from people as we were just daring to talk about this relationship between the earth we know now and the heaven we will all know one day. I want to look today in the final part of this series on heavenly hope. I want to speak on the subject of hope and I'm believing that as we speak of heavenly hope, people's hope is going to be revived today as they turn their hope away from the things of this world and place their hope on the things that come from heaven, the promises of God and the assurance of an eternity with him. Heavenly hope is certain hope. Now we're living in a world that's very uncertain, especially in the hopes that it offers, but we need to understand as believers, children of God, we have a heavenly hope, which is a certain hope, which we have in this current world of uncertain hopes. Come on, just look around, watch the news, watch how everything is changing. In the midst of the changing picture of the life that we know, God wants you to have a certain hope that gives you a peace and an assurance, no matter what storm may be coming or that you may be finding yourselves in. There's a hope and a stillness that we can find as citizens of heaven on the earth that people that don't belong to God will never know. And it's strength And its reality is for us to have our minds set on heavenly things. If you want to know the certainty of heavenly hope in uncertain times where hope is fickle, the key is to be a person that hasn't settled here and fully unpacked on this earth, yet you remain conscious that you are a pilgrim and you are on a journey enjoying and walking through this life for here and now to a place that's beyond what we know in the here and now called heaven, eternity with God. I think a verse that really colours this in is in the book of uh, Philippians chapter 3 verses 18 to 20 where it really announces to us we're in the world but we need to remember that we're no longer of this world. Our hope should not be sourced from things in this world but from heavenly hope that comes from the father let me read these verses to you <clears throat> for i for as i have often told you before paul was saying i've said this a few times now it's time to start listening for as i have often told you before and now tell you again even with tears paul saying please listen to me many and he's talking about some christians sadly as well as non-christians many live as enemies of the cross of christ which means they don't live in the reality of what christ achieved for them on the cross their destiny is destruction their god is their stomach and their glory is in their shame their mind is set on earthly things but listen to what he says about us now He's speaking firstly of, again, sadly, some Christians live that way, but specifically about people 
that don't believe in what Christ has achieved for them at the cross. They've not been born of the Spirit. They're not a part of the family of God. Paul is saying they just live for their stomachs. They just live for the here and now. Their hopes are based on physical things that their senses agree with in this life. But then he brings the alternative. He says, but I always love the way that Paul painted the picture of what some people are experiencing and then brought in the reality of the heavenly but, the but that changes everything. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Not when we die and we go there, but right now. Our citizenship, our true citizenship we are um, we are dual citizens, if you like. We have a citizenship to where we are on the earth right now, but we need to remain conscious as believers and followers of Jesus Christ that our true citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see the comparison he's bringing? He's saying people that set their mind just on earthly things. It says that their mind is set on earthly things. But people that set their mind on earthly things only ever have earthly hope. But the Bible says that we are now, not when we die and go to heaven, but also now we are citizens of heaven. We are a kingdom people called to live a kingdom life. And it says that we can have a certain hope, even in a world that can seem so very, very uncertain. We eagerly await. Are you eagerly awaiting him? We eagerly await a saviour that comes from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of points I want to underline in what Paul is teaching. It says there, meaning those who are unsaved or, or those that don't take what Christ did on the cross seriously, their minds are set on earthly things versus our minds being set on heavenly things Colossians 3 when your mind is set on something you become consumed by what your mind is set upon God wants our lives to be consumed with heavenly things good things promises that find their um, origin in him but sadly some sometimes I meet Christians and they're believers they love God and they're going to heaven their names are written in the Lamb's book of life but their minds and their hearts and their affections are set or consumed on things of this earth and this is where Paul's saying don't live like that you live in a real world be a real person in a real world but don't be consumed by the things that your unsaved neighbors and friends and people in the street are consumed by you be consumed with heavenly things including a hope that's steadfast and certain that finds its origin in God um, why do we live differently well, Paul says it. It's because of our knowledge of our true citizenship. The reason that we stand out in life or we're called to stand out in life as people that live differently, love differently, um, just just have big, colourful lives in a very bland, beige world is because we understand our true citizenship. Though we're in this world, we're not of this world. We're looking for a land whose maker and builder is Jesus Christ. Now, we're not trying to get away from earth but we're realising that there is a heaven to come, but also a heaven that speaks into our current life here on earth, right here, right now. We are different because we have our hope set on things above and things that come from above. We have our hearts and our attention consumed 
Now, you'll be in peace if your mind is consumed and your heart is consumed with things that originate in God and come from God. Our hope comes from knowing what's above, but also in the things that are coming from above to our lives in the here and now. So what is hope? That could be answered over a series. It really could. It's a big question. Now, to me, one definition I heard is it's a simple belief that things can and will change. Hope is a simple belief that things can and will change. The question is, what is your hope built in? The promises of man that are fickle, your own intentions, your own ability, or something of much greater strength, which is what God is speaking over your life and your situation and the eternity to come. We need to build our lives on that which is unshakable. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Why? To reveal that which can't be shaken, which is his kingdom and his kingship. Come on, we have a king that's unshakable, unchangeable, and we're a part of a kingdom to come, but also here on earth right now, that cannot be shaken, even when every other kingdom is. Now, hope is different to faith. Faith is very much about now. Hebrews, the classic uh, Hebrews 11 verse says, now faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things. But faith is different to hope. Hope is about what will be. Faith is about now. Faith is for the moment you're in. Faith is believing you have what God has promised in the moment that you're living. But hope is believing that you will have the things that the Lord said you will have. You will know the things that the Lord says you will know, even if everything in the life that you're living in disagrees. God wants you to have a certain hope and a steadfast hope and a violent faith in this world where people are so confused. Now, we've all had hope or placed hope in other things that could fail or did fail, right? We've all had hope or placed hope in things that were not of God that failed or or could fail and there's a sense of instability in our hope, in our hearts concerning the hope that this world tries to offer us. I'm talking about things like investments. Have you ever invested in anything? Remember, anyone that invests in stocks and shares, they have a hope of a conclusion, but there's no certainty of a conclusion. That's why they make money from investment. So even the whole premise of investment is based upon placing hope in something that's not certain. A business ideas, ah, oh, I started a business, I hope it works. Again, you have no assurance that it will work, just a hope that it will. Strategies that you may have had, um, I hope this works out. Now, there's many accounts in history of people that placed hopes in things that didn't work out and actually went uh, brutally wrong. One of them is the Wall Street crash of 1929. If you read about that dark time of the Wall Street crash of 1929, it was a time where people were investing, stockbrokers and investors were putting all of their assets and all of their their possessions into stocks and shares. Then almost overnight or over a week, bang, everything dropped, it plummeted. And everything that an investor in the stock market in Wall Street had put their hopes in was gone in a matter of days. Um, it was gone, boom, it went from prosperous to nothing. Do you know what happened? It was a sad day in the streets of Wall Street in 1929. People started jumping out of building windows. People started to jump off of buildings because everything they put their earthly hope in was now gone and it was taken in a moment. Come on, God doesn't want us to be 
like people that feel they need to jump off of a building, but you will if your hopes are built only on earthly things. God wants you to build your hope on things that are originated and promised from where he rules and reigns, which is heaven. There's many pictures of people that have invested, had businesses, had strategies, and they hoped in things, but their hope never came true. So they were plummeted into the realm of disappointment and disillusionment. Some of them made a comeback, others didn't. But also when we think about people and people's promises, people can, can mean well, can't they? But you can't build on someone's promises like you can build on what God promises you. Sometimes, listen, if I go back over the last 56 years of my life, I've been made some epic promises. And sometimes people follow through on their promises, but sadly a lot of times people didn't. And often people would give me promises and they were good intentions that were based from hearts that were sincere. But one day when it came to fulfilling the thing that they said they would do for me, they were no longer able. And suddenly I built my hope upon the thing that they'd said they were going to do. But suddenly they could no longer do it or they'd forgotten about it. That's worse. And suddenly you're like, uh, but you said. And suddenly the hope that you had. Now in ministry, when me and Gina came to this country, um, like nearly 30 years ago and we started in ministry there was no family church we were traveling around as an evangelists we were living by faith not just saying that as a statement that was our life we were believing God for food on our table every week and then our kids began to be born and just my faith got increased but many times during that time I had people say to me listen the Lord's spoken to me and I'm going to do this for you and sometimes those people followed through and I was really glad when they did because we were living each week just trusting God in what he'd sent us to the UK to do but sadly we also had a few times where people said God has spoken to my heart I don't mean to put on American accent it was also English people and other people as well God has spoken to my heart we're going to do this for you and we waited and we waited because we weren't like we weren't this wasn't casual we we were like that guy said he was going to do something we need this this must be God's provision into our life for this time but it never came And it's amazing that when you build your hopes on what someone has promised you they're going to do, you set yourself up to experience disappointment, disillusionment. Situations and opportunities. You know, often we've all said, haven't we, I hope this turns out okay. I've planned to do this. I hope this works out. You know, anyone that's bought a home, you've looked at a number of homes that you would like to live in. And then you put an offer in the home that you'd really like. And you come away from making that offer knowing there's other bidders going, I hope we get it. What are you saying? There's no certainty, but we really have a hope. We have a hope. But the problem is it's built on things that are said by humans and situations that are orchestrated by humans. God wants us to realise that in this life, not just the one to come, we as followers of Christ can know a hope that's um, certain, stable, certain, unbreakable, sure. So maybe today all of us need to take a movement away from placing too much hope in the things of this world and what people say in this world, even when they love us and they care for us, into placing our true hope or our certain hope in the things that the Father has said and the things he's promised. Now, hope rewarded is a great thing. When you've hoped, I've spoken of a couple of negative times when the parcel didn't arrive or that which was promised did never come to our um, possession. 
But there was also many times when people said, you know what, the Lord has asked me to help you. The Lord's asked me to do this for you or the Lord has told me to do this for you. And we said, OK, well, we're just going to trust what you're saying there. And sure enough, they followed through on the promise that they said, boy, that day when the follow through or the manifestation of what they promised they said happens, there's a rejoicing. It's like living water. Woo! Run around the living room. Come on. Not only did they say it, but they did it as well. But again, the opposite to that is when hope isn't rewarded, it can cause a sick heart. Let me read to you how the Bible puts it so wonderfully in the book of Proverbs, chapter 13 and verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's the truth, isn't it? When somebody promises, when you have a hope of a business strategy, you have a hope of a home you want to own or different, many categories, but it doesn't happen or it's delayed. Your heart can become very sick. Yet the Bible says, above all things, we're to guard our heart because from our heart, the health of our heart come the issues of our life. It says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Great comparison there. When something we've been hoping for comes to pass, it's like a tree of life. But when something we've been hoping for, and we've all done it, doesn't come to pass or is delayed, suddenly it's like a sickness in our heart. I like the way the Passion Translation puts this. When hope's dream seems to drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. <laughs> That's so good, isn't it? It says, when, when hope's dream seems to drag on and on, when, 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 it says the delay can be very depressing. Now, when it comes to heaven and heavenly hope, both for promises that has been made us from heaven, from God to us, and that place called heaven, which is the place we will all one day know, we have as believers certain hope, not fickle hope, everything that God promises from heaven to you on earth is true, yes and amen, and certain. Even when you don't know how, even though you don't know when, even though you don't know all the things that will be involved in making that come to pass. If God promises something, it's different to the hope we know in this life built upon the promises and natural things that we live in and around. It's certain. Also, when we consider heaven, there's a certainty to our expectation of what we will know. Why is everything so stable and certain when it comes to God? Because of his faithfulness and his unchanging nature. You see, we live with changing natures, but he doesn't change. He never changes. He's the God that changeth not. He's an unchanging God, which means when he promises something, he's not going to change his mind. That gives us the ability to build on a hope that's certain because he's unchanging. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 to 20, that speaks of his unchanging nature. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, that's us. He confirmed it with an oath. He said, there's no one bigger than me to sign my name off on this, so I'm going to sign my name off. I'm putting my name on the promises I'm giving you as those who are inherited the promises or inheriting the promises I'm given. God did this so that by two unchangeable, there's that lovely word again, if you're looking for true hope, two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us will be greatly encouraged. How will you be greatly encouraged when you flee from the other things that you've placed hope in and place your hope in him that's unchanging in a changing world? Listen to verse 19. We have this hope. What hope? Real hope, true hope, unchanging hope that's based on his character and his unchanging nature. We have this hope 
as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, immovable. It enters in a sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become our high priest forever to the order of Melchizedek. So we're building on a hope, an anchor of hope that isn't found in this life, but the anchor to the rope that we've connected our hope is is where he is, which makes it certain and unmoving. A couple of things we learn from this passage. There's a certain hope that God offers us in an uncertain world, but we have to move from placing all of our hopes, our deepest hopes, in things that originate from this life and people in this life to placing our greatest hope in him, in in that place which is unshakable and certain in which he rules and reigns. Now we have unshakable hope and certain hope because they're based on him and where he is and the promises that he's made. God will not lie. God will not lie. When God said something, it will come to pass, which means like the great patriarch of faith, Abraham, our father in the faith, we can have and know an unfailing anchor to our hope in our lives that can seem so shaky sometimes and uncertain. I love this statement that it makes of Abraham in the book of Romans chapter 4 and verse 18. It says of Abraham, Abraham against all hope had hope. What's that even mean? Or another version says, and Abraham contrary to hope had hope. It means that everything that Abraham could naturally put hope in, in this life was evidentially hopeless. Yet in the midst of apparent hopelessness, he had hope that gave him strength. In the same way, God wants us to look at the things around us may produce hopelessness, but we shouldn't be hopeless because we find our hope anchored in him in a place that's not of this life, in a place that rules and reigns over the things of this life. And I love that. Again, the picture of Abraham is he looked at his body. He was old. He was around 100, hopeless. He looked at his wife, who was old, hopeless, for having children. She wasn't hopeless. She was a nice lady. But when it came towards having kids, he looked at her. He looked at her barren womb, hopeless, 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 hopeless. Yet he knew that God had said to him, call yourself a father of many nations. From your loins will come not just a natural family, but a spiritual family. He could have looked at the things around him to try and gain hope and be left with hopelessness but he chose to believe the promise of God in the midst of hopelessness and it says against hope he had hope listen when you move your hope from earthly hope to heavenly hope against hope you'll have hope I love that hope that encourages your heart today now that won't come unless you start to set your mind on things above and stop letting the things of this earth consume your attention, your mind and your affection. Get passionate about God. Now, God promises us, he gives us real and certain promises that give us hope, not earthly hope, heavenly hope, for the lives that we're living here, but also he gives us a certain promise of a hope for a place called heaven after death. And this is where I want to kind of round the series off today. It's brilliant that our hopes are fueled from where he is in heaven, that our hopes are now, or the rope of our hope is attached to the anchor of his unchanging nature. But also when we speak about heavenly hope, we've got to understand that one thing we should be worshipping and rejoicing all of our days is that we have a certain hope that when we die, or when a person that's a believer dies, in this life, 
They open their eyes and are present with God in his heaven, his paradise, forevermore. Come on, that hope should encourage us for our lives, right? Let's talk about heaven for a moment. They're really, you know, this is what I've discovered about heaven, because heaven is our hope. And it's not a fickle hope that's based on our performance. It's a certain hope. There's no experts on on the subject of heaven. There's people that are bobbed there and come back. And normally when somebody's come back, it's to tell another why they need to be going there. I want to encourage you, if you don't watch Talking Church on a Tuesday, join me and Gina on a Tuesday and and watch Talking Church or catch up and watch Talking Church because we've been unpacking this thought about heaven the last couple of weeks. And it's always a really good time on Tuesday mornings because we unpack the thoughts that we're just kind of throwing out on a Sunday. But we were talking about this subject on Tuesday about heaven, that there's people who say they've gone and they've come back, but there's no experts on heaven, what we can expect, what it will be like. What I've settled in my heart is not yet known, but better than. That's my kind of statement of heaven. Um, Not yet known, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, heart hasn't perceived the fullness of what God's been doing for 2,000 years in making this place that he says, I will, and, and I am a citizen of here, and I will be there. But I know one thing, it'll be better than anything I've imagined. So I've not yet known, but it's better. I can't even begin to judge what heaven will be like by the things I've seen in this temporal moment called life on earth. Now, the Bible gives us a few random windows, which is nice, to what we can expect in heaven, but they are few. That's why we place our faith in what God has built for us in a chapter that's forever is going to be so superior than a chapter that was only meant to last 100 years or so. Now, here's a couple of glimpses. Revelations 21 verse 4 says it's a place where every tear will be wiped away. I love that. There'll be no mourning, crying or pain. The former things that we known would have passed away. We know that's certain because the Bible reveals that in heaven that will be fact. So every tear, every pain, every mourning, every sorrow will have passed away. But also in John 14 verse 2 it says it's a place that's prepared for us with many rooms. Again these are random Um, glimpses at a heaven that's certain that you will know and I will know when this life is spent. It's a place that's been prepared for us. Isn't that awesome? I go to prepare a place for you. But also in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, it underlines the fact that he's prepared a place for us that no eye has seen or fully imagined. So it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 13 says, in agreement with Revelations 21, that It's a new heaven and a new earth that comes down where righteousness dwells. These are some things that we can know about heaven because the word reveals it. It's a new heaven and a new earth, a city, a new heaven, a new earth that comes down where righteousness dwells. So what God considers to be right is done. I love that. Those are just some glimpses. And then I let my imagination, which most of you know is kind of out of control a lot of the time, begin to imagine one day when I'm in heaven, what will it be like? Like I said, I don't believe in the theory of fat angels on clouds floating around playing harps. I believe people will be working, fulfilled in their work. There'll be cities, there'll be rewards, there'll be treasures. We'll be blown away by what heaven is. I just think about how cool it would be be spending eternity chatting to people that I've read about. Be awesome. Just taking a moment with Peter to say, all right, Peter, can you talk us through um, what it was that it was like that on in Pentecost? Could you tell me, Peter, I, I want what was it like? Or or, you know, Simon the Syrian, what was it like when you, 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 you picked up the cross and helped Jesus? 
what was going through your head imagine the conversations we can have is this me getting carried away yeah but i think it's true moses moses talk to me talk to me and we know moses had a speech impediment so he say what do you want to know with a lisp you know suffering thuckatash who knows who he might but hey everything's been perfected perfected so probably his speech is all right but you know, what i'm trying to say is we're saying to moses what was it like uh, when god spoke to you on that mountaintop what what was it like when you stood before pharaoh all these people that it was going to take an eternity to, to talk to you know it's going to be amazing heaven is going to be amazing filled with great conversations i'm excited about running up the stairs and not getting out of breath I mean, I, you know, I'm excited about not putting on weight, I, I, you know, uh, having a six pack that lasts for all eternity. I mean, who knows? There's no biblical scriptures or backing for these things. But if everything's perfected, everything will be perfect. Think of a worship. Oh, my goodness. We worship him now, not seeing him, knowing the presence of his spirit. What will it be like when we're all standing before the throne of God, worshipping him forever and a day, saying you are holy, you are worthy. God, I get it now. Come on, heaven is going to be incredible. And then there's that moment when you appear before him and suddenly it it could take a few lifetimes to stand before him and say, Lord, everything I sacrificed, it was worth it. I understand now. Everything I, I, I was persecuted, it was worth it, Lord. I lay those things down as crowns at your feet. The things I went without, Lord, they were nothing. You were worth it, Jesus. All this stuff is real. Heaven is real. And one day we can have a certain hope that we will be in heaven, not maybe. Now, this is a certain hope for us who are currently here. And it's not based on or maintained by us because it's a matter of belief, not performance. It's a matter of belief and not behaviour. The last two weeks we spoke about rewards and treasures that will be awaiting saints based on the lives they chose to live and how they they spent their lives while here on earth. But the position of being in eternity is based solely on whether a person has believed in Jesus Christ and made him their Lord and Saviour, surrendered their life to him. So we have a certain hope. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on work so that we wake up one day saying, did I do enough to qualify? All of that is out. The day of works is over. Faith in the grace of God is what replaced an old covenant based on man's performance. Our being in heaven is all about the entrance he has given us and the right to be there, which is our inheritance given to us by him. Now, when I stand before heaven and they say, why are you coming in? I'm going to say, well, nothing I did. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's him. Did you do anything to qualify coming into heaven, Andy? No, absolutely nothing. It's him. It's him. It's him. He's my salvation. He's my justification. He's my righteousness. The only reason I can come into an eternity with you, Father God, is because of him and the faith are based in him. And the father's going to say, come on in. That's the right answer. Now, For us to think of heaven one day, it's not a question mark, it's an exclamation mark. It's a steadfast reality, it's certain. He will return one day to take me to be with him. Whether I leave this planet by rapture or resurrection or second return or or, or through death, whatever means I leave this life that I know, oh, blessed assurance is mine. I know where I will open my eyes and so can you. Not with a fickle hope of maybe, but a hope of absolute assurance. Now we also have a certain hope concerning those who we've loved and have left us. And this blesses my heart so much because every one of us that are watching this have said goodbye to someone 
in this earth, but we loved. But we had a consciousness that the Bible said that they were now present with God. No, no, consciousness is not enough. You need to have an absolute belief and rejoicing. That even in the very sad pain of saying goodbye to them in this life, if they placed their faith in Christ, it wasn't goodbye. It was see you later. Heavenly hope is something that I'm so thankful for regarding my assurance of a life in heaven beyond the one I know, but also concerning those who have gone before me. And again, I know this is a very, very sad subject and I may be speaking this into a world where you've recently lost somebody. But lost somebody is a very strange terminology, isn't it? Heaven's gained them. I can always remember when my mum uh, went on to glory. She finished her time of training and she went into her time of reigning. I remember people used to say to my dad, I heard you lost your wife. And my dad, he would always respond with the same answer. Still today, I haven't lost her. I know exactly where she is. Oh, come on. What an assurance we have. Even though the pain and the sadness of our not having them here with us in this earth and this life any longer, it's true, it's true. It's really what we feel, it's what we experience. Undergirding it is a promise that's based in the faithfulness of the Father. But if they've placed their faith in Christ, it's not a question mark. You will see them again. Like I said, I'm speaking in right now to a world where maybe you've recently um, had to say goodbye to someone in this world. And like I said, we've all, you don't live long before you go through that corridor with a person that's close to you, a person that you love. It's almost the inheritance of the children, isn't it? to say goodbye to their parents, but that should never be a goodbye. It should be a see you later. I can remember, I can remember when I said goodbye to my mum, the pain of a goodbye that would affect me in this life was strengthened and ungirded, but deep within me, I knew it was a temporary delay. And one day, like the song says, we'll all be back together. That resurrection hope is a certain hope, not based on what you do, but simply based in what you believe that Jesus has done and qualified you for. I think of the words of David, the words that he spoke when his son that was the produce of that relationship that was wrong, suddenly died and the servants came to David and they said, we need to tell you that your son has died. David made these incredible words that have been a comfort to me and to many during a time where you're saying goodbye to somebody on this earth. He said, he will not come to me. 2 Samuel 12 verse 23. He will not come to me. But one day I will go and be with him. This is a certainty. Not that we want to leave this life early. Yet we live this life conscious that those who have died in faith are awaiting us 
in a realm and a life that follows the one that we know. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Thank you for that assurance. I've had the, um, I've had the privilege to do many, many funerals um, over the years of pastoring. And I can't underline to you today the very, very real difference between grief at a funeral where the person knew the Lord versus the grief that's at a funeral where the person didn't and the family don't believe in heaven. They're both very, very, very sad occasions, times of remembering, celebrating life. But in the funerals that I've done where the person knew Christ, there's an undergirding strength that's present in the grief of those who are experiencing a momentary separation. This is spoken very well of in First Thessalonians, isn't it? A verse that I've often used when it's come to a believer saying goodbye to somebody in this life, knowing that they would see them in the one to come. Let me read these verses to you, as it says in the final words of these verses, to bring you comfort today, if you're somebody that recently said goodbye or see you later to someone in this life. It says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that's speaking of death in this life, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, it doesn't say we don't sorrow, but it says we don't sorrow or grieve like those who are hopeless. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who currently sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive here in this life, earth, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, dead to this life, alive with him. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice and an archangel, with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, but also with those that we temporarily said goodbye to in the life that we know here. Then he says in verse 18, Therefore comfort, bring comfort to one another with these words. I want to bring comfort to you today. I don't want to cut across your pain and sadness if this is something that's very fresh or raw, but I do want to bring you words of comfort today. Not only can you have an assurance of where you will spend eternity when your life here is spent, but even in the sadness and the grief and the pain of that goodbye that you've had to make to somebody that you've loved, have an assurance that life is quite short, the wind of life blows so quickly, time passes. One day, they're not lost. You will see them again. Heavenly citizenship and hope is not just to affect us in the heaven one day we experience there, but it should undergird us, fuel us, motivate us, drive us in the life that we're choosing to live for the Lord here on earth in the life and the realm that we currently know. While we live here, God wants us to bring heaven 
to where we live. So often Christians speak about leaving here to go there, when actually I believe the Lord wants us as kingdom citizens on this planet, in this life, to be releasing heaven through the way that we choose to live, the way we choose to love, the way we choose to hope, the way we choose to treat others. I like what Jesus says in, uh, uh, what, what John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. He says, because as he is there, so are we now in this world. What I'm saying is don't let just, don't just let heaven and heavenly hope be something that's packaged in the filing cabinet of what happens when you've spent your last breath on this earth, but rather let it be something that motivates you. Lord, let the heaven that's there come through my life that's present here. Let my life be a conduit that releases heaven, the sound of heaven, the joy of heaven, the atmosphere of heaven, wherever I may find myself in any given day. Let my life be a slice of heaven for the people that live around me in my here and now. So what I'm not saying is let's become a group of what I would call I'll fly away, O glory Christians, that are just obsessed and have minds set on their exit alone. But rather, let's be believers who are balanced in our understanding of earth and heaven, the lives we're spending now and the lives that we will know there, the sure promise that God gives us for the life we live and the certain promise that for everyone who believes in him, there's a book called the Lamb's Book of Life that gives you full entrance to an eternity and an everlasting with him. But let's, let's not waste the lives that we've got here. Let's not be Christians. I've heard Christians sing for years songs like, I'll fly away, oh glory. And it's like they just don't want to be here. Sometimes I hear them singing songs like that and I'm like, somebody opened the window and let them out. They don't want to be here. When actually I believe if God wanted us to be with him exactly after we were born again, he would have took us. He left us here for a reason. We are God's workmanship left on the earth, created to do God's business on the earth with an assurance one day when our last breath is spent, we will present, be present with him for all eternity, forever, evermore. Set your mind on things above. Live a very real life where you're active in life, loving, caring, serving. But don't let this life or the temporal earth that we know be the thing that fills your heart and your attention. Rather, take the advice of Paul. Set your heart and set your mind on things above. You'll be glad that you did. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're saying, I don't know where I'd go if I died tonight. You need to know. This is one question you cannot leave a question mark over. One prayer can take away the question mark and replace it with an exclamation mark. One prayer that says, Jesus, save me. A simple prayer. I'm going to pray it right now. As I say, amen, I'm going to enjoy, I'm going to enjoy you doing it, but I'm going to um, invite you to join me. And as you say amen, if you've never known him, 
if you've never had a relationship with God, if you've been backslidden and you know you need to come back now, just say amen and God will hear your heart and it will be a done deal because the Bible promises it will be. Believe in your heart and you will be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Heavenly Father, thank you that earth is a reality and also is heaven. Thank you for Jesus Christ, your son, who died on a cross for me, that I could have an assurance of heaven in the life to come and also experiencing heaven breaking out in the life that I know here. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I give my life to you. I confess my sins. I repent of my sin. I ask you, give me a new beginning. Cause me to be born again of your spirit. I turn away from who I was and the life I was living to now live for you. I call you King. I call you Saviour. I call you Lord. Amen. Amen. The Bible says the moment you said amen and made that prayer your own, you move from death to life, that your name is now unblotted in the Lamb's Book of Life. You can have an assurance of where you will spend the life to come, but also you can know heaven breaking out in the one you've currently got. See you next week. God bless.